Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we are going to talk about the tragic events that occurred on Memorial Day last week when George Floyd, a man here in Minneapolis, was murdered by a police officer. And on the Two Cities Podcast, what we want to do today is we want to talk about racial justice from a theological perspective and think about this with a couple people who are joining me. We have a team member, Grace Singalang Ng, who is a PhD student at Biola studying education. How's it going, Grace? It's good. How are you, John? Yeah, doing good. I just moved down to South Minneapolis, uptown area, and it's been a wild weekend to to move. Uh, I'll, I'll just say driving a U-Haul through a series of protesters on the highway was a bit of a a bit of a challenge, but obviously not a significant uh, stressor considering all that's been going on in in my city. And joining us also, we have Daniel Parham, Reverend Daniel Parham, who is Student Success Advisor at Biola University and an elder at Gospel Memorial Church in Long Beach. How's it going, Daniel? Uh, given the week, it's, it's, it's going okay. I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of that, just as as a way to a way for us to begin, do you want to just walk us through, you know, your reactions to horrible uh, news from last week? Yes. Uh, so it's it's uh, been a week of I would say deep grief and anger, anger that I haven't felt in a long time because I think of the magnitude of events that have happened over the past month or so. You know, mm-hmm. we discussed George Floyd. We're also right, uh, right. compounding Breonna Taylor and uh, Ahmaud Arbery and. Right. and in the history of the events that have occurred in in several years and uh, hundreds of years, um, so mm-hmm. I think it is. It's been um, it's it's been a little bit of a grief stricken past few days, and and I can't speak for every individual voice who who uh, experiences the the black narrative, but I would say that I think in a lot of ways there's a collective anger and grief. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to we want to try and dive into this issue from a theological perspective, and I think maybe it, it might be might be good to start with the fact that, frankly, there are a lot of gaps in this regard in our theological education. Racism itself is not something that is addressed a lot in a theological curriculum. Can we, can we begin with that and just discuss the, the problem with that, the ways that that makes our theology insufficient, and the ways that we might want to try and rectify that? Yeah, yeah. I think there's a, there's a history uh, that's been tied to some of the gaps that we see existing today and, and have existed for a while, um, I think, in our evangelical circles. Is, you know, and, and I state this, that my evangelical circles are my brothers and sisters, but I will use the language evangelical because of some of the, I think, some of the, uh, the exposing gaps that we've seen over the past few years. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that Evangelical theology a lot of times is rooted in its discipline from the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Pauline theology as well as just the Gospels in some ways, there has been elements of freedom in Christ uh, that have been pulled out. And then also oneness in Christ devoid of the mm-hmm. differences that are a part of that mm-hmm. somehow has been um, crafted and in terms of the theological convictions that have happened um, mm. in 
evangelical churches. Mm-hmm. Coupled with that and the kind of the absence of kind of the pulling in and driving of the whole biblical narrative from Old Testament to New, we see Jesus is the fulfillment of the undoing, both now and eternal undoing of injustices. Mm-hmm. Uh, an example of that would be is that Jesus goes into the temple with a full theology that the temple is supposed to be the house of prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and responds viscerally in anger and turns the tables of the merchants. That is rooted in a deep understanding of the Old Testament, because as we're thinking of Jesus, we're thinking of Jesus who has a clear understanding of the law, a clear understanding of the Torah, and a clear and, a, and also a divine relationship with the Father. But we're reading the New Testament account of Jesus' understanding of God's character, which was firmly rooted in the Old Testament. And I think that has not been highlighted in much of our evangelical churches. If you read through the prophets, you see a very, very, very strong mm. call to Israel to seek justice and to love mercy. When you don't preach that and you don't preach the prophetic voice of God that disdains injustice, mm. you find yourself continually living in the gaps because you only hear about freedom and unity devoid of the divisiveness that comes when oppression and injustice uh, which is part of the depravity of our world and and also the depravity of some of, the, of our churches persists mm-hmm. so you don't have the language um, nor the biblical theology to match up to the language of freedom that is coupled with justice and particularly justice along the lines of race right race Racial justice is a subcategory of just the overall theology of justice. But when you don't have the basis of justice, it's actually even harder to get to racial justice. Uh, And so I think those gaps present create the situation that we have today. So I totally agree with Daniel. I think that um, we do have those gaps in our theologies of seeing God's justice. And also um, in our education, the gaps of not having books and voices from people of color in our theological courses. You know, most of our like theological textbooks are, you know, like older white men. And so like, I think that also colors maybe the way that we read the Bible, that the theolog- our theological education is based more on this Western individualistic mindset instead of a having the communal group mentality to see uh, that we do need to um, love each other and we need to fight for those who are oppressed and those who are marginalized. What about this idea that you often hear sometimes and, you know, in various evangelical circles and perhaps beyond that, but we'll, you know, limit our scope to evangelicalism, this idea of like, you know, why, why does racism get brought up so much. I, I'm colorblind, you know, I don't see race or, or whatever. What, what sort of uh, response should we have to this, this line of thought? I mean, it seems to be a pretty common, you know, cliche. Yes, I, I, I agree, John. I think it, it is a common cliche, but I think it's, it's absent of the character of God, which the character of God, though the word of race is not in the scriptures, the word ethnos, right? Mm. Uh, ethnicity is, is an element of the scriptures, right? Um, we go to Babel and we see a, a splitting away, right? A, a kind of clear uh, understanding that there are nations and within those nations are ethnic groups. And so even like the understanding that God does not just look at us with a blanket look 
um, of without any distinguishers, he mm-hmm. does value and merit us by our distinguishers. Mm. And, I, and I think that is the challenge, right? It's like saying that the world is, it's just, it's like saying that I don't see the color of the sky or I don't mm. see the color of trees. Mm. Or I don't see the color of the flowers. They're all the same. That, that's mm. a denial of right. God's intrinsic diversity and giftedness of creativity. Mm-hmm. God made them unique and yet testify to him mm-hmm. their uniqueness. Right. And at the same time, it, is a, it, it, it demonstrates the image of God being manifested. Uh, and I think it's one of the most beautiful pictures, regardless of what our racial or ethnic background is or our gender. Um, we can go down the lines, but I know we're talking specifically about race. Mm-hmm. We are still made in the image of God. It's it's almost as mysterious as the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we though very different are seen as one in God, but not devoid of our differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, to go along with that, um, I totally agree, Daniel. And even in Revelation, when we see um, yes, the picture yes. of the throne room of God. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it says a great multitude, multitude that no one could number from mm-hmm. every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages right. standing before the throne and before the lamb in Revelation 7, 9. You know, like our languages and our ethnicities don't go away, but they come together in this beautiful picture um, mm-hmm. as we worship God together. Right. In the language of the IDI, you know, which is a tool used for um, kind of uh, assessing intercultural competency and intercultural humility and these sorts of things. It, you know, that language of colorblind is really a, a form of minimizing. You know, it's a way, it's a way of, I think, wanting to, to emphasize the unity of humanity, right? But failing to embrace and recognize difference. And I think the passage you just brought up, Grace, is so beautiful for precisely this, because there is unity there, you know, that everyone's together worshiping the lamb, right? But yet we're not all sort of going to be transformed into the same hue and speak the same language and these sorts of things. Our cultures are preserved, this sort of thing. I think that's a real beautiful, beautiful image that that cuts against this, this issue of colorblindness and and the reason why i think it's so important is because if we if we speak in terms of colorblindness i think what we do is we fail to recognize that other people have different experiences as a result of our kind of malaise of saying you know oh i don't see race or i you know i'm colorblind or whatever and i think i think we are not able to account for the ways in which people could experience the world very differently from from us whoever the us is yeah and, and john if i could just add something i think along the lines of what grace and, and you have said when we look at Pentecost, right, we just came out from Pentecost Sunday. Right, right. When you look at Pentecost, Pentecost is the catalyst of the birth of the church, the modern day Christian church, right? And, and to think that the people that were there for, for Pentecost heard the, the mighty works of God in their own language. Mm. This, is the, this is the profound move of the Holy Spirit where there were multiple languages and yet there was one language. Yes. Right. And so this is the birth of the church. So it shows that God is not doing a, a new thing in terms of the loss of our ethnicity. He's doing a new thing in the sense of we have 
the diversity, but yet oneness. Pentecost is here. Yeah, so uh, just to go along with that, I also wanted to say, like, it also shows how much God, like, knows us and he sees us, mm. you know, as different um, ethnicities. Like, that is part of who we are. And God, like, celebrates that. And we need to celebrate that as well. Um, mm. And as a person of color, to be honest, like, we can't really remove our appearance or our identity from right. our ethnicity. That's just part of who we are when we present ourselves to the world. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times people who make that colorblind comment, it shows part of their privilege in being mm. able to say that. Right, right, exactly. So let, let's talk a bit about racial justice from a theological perspective, and, and let's dive into practical theology. So often in evangelicalism, we are very concerned to have good orthodoxy, right teaching. You know, we, we want to say the right things and, and believe the right things and these, and these sorts of things, but we don't often emphasize orthopraxy, good practice, right practice, especially, I think, in terms of justice and in terms of thinking about social justice, racial justice. What, what, what do we want to say about this topic? Yeah, you know, I, I, I'll probably go down a couple paths here. In a, a lot of evangelical circles, I think in recent years, there's been a argument against um, some social constructs theories, and I won't go into the labor of that, because they are systems that are not rooted in biblical principles. Um, but uh, it lasts the argument that's made. But the reality is a lot of the ways in which we read, the lens in which we read the scriptures is a product of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is not a biblical concept. It was an historical movement. And I think that because, because of that, and we think of things empirically in, in a lot of European circles, particularly um, in evangelical circles, we have to uh, rationalize something before we feel something. And so people have to have a logical conclusion um, to how they have to operate theologically. But when we look at the scriptures and we read the heart of Paul, when Paul talks about the heart, uh, the heart as we understand in, in, in a Hebrew sense, right, is both mind and the emotive and the effective. It is not just the mind. And so it causes us to say that uh, when God shapes us theologically, he is shaping us holistically. Hmm. He's shaping us not just cognitively, He's shaping us emotively and he's shaping us affectively. And so when that happens, you are pulled to make an action rooted out of what you know, because they're, they're supposed to be synonymous with one another. Um, and I think that that's the challenge that is happening in terms of our orthopraxy, um, is that orthopraxy is seen as an addendum to mm -hmm. orthopraxy and not one of the same. So Paul. When Paul is teaching, right, and instructing churches and responding back to the conflict that is happening, actions that are happening, right, not philosophical dialogue, but actions that bring about questions on how I'm supposed to walk in my faith, Paul is not just writing a theological discourse. Mm -hmm. He's giving a rightful move of action to the mm -hmm. church because it is the heartfulness of the theology that's supposed to be the visible aspect of the operation of the church. The church is not to be known for its theological fidelity. It's supposed to be known for its love. Jesus sums all of the theological accumulation that we have 
into one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and likewise love your neighbor as yourself. And so the accumulation of our orthodoxy, which is needed, and I don't backstep, I don't backstep from that, but an orthodoxy has to be rooted in a loving orthopathy. And when we, when we don't see those as one of the same, uh, we see these kind of stumbling blocks that come up because I have to rationalize something in a system that's not rooted actually in the biblical narrative. Mm-hmm. It is a system that we've used as an earnest attempt to try to understand the scriptures and maybe wholeheartedly, but it has its areas of missteps that we have to admit in order to act out of love in orthopraxy rooted in our orthodoxy. Yeah, true transformation really does involve the whole whole person, you know, um, having the right thinking, which leads to the right action. At the same time, having the right thinking with the right action, we also need to have the right heart and affections. And so I think a lot of the times it's difficult for us to engage in orthopraxy in the right actions because we haven't delved into our own hearts, especially um, in the area of racial justice. That has to change or that starts with the change in our own hearts. And so we have to um, face our own prejudices and our own biases before we can make any change in our actions. And so I think that is a, a really difficult a lot of times for us to see the sin in our own hearts. It's really painful, but understanding that God is gracious in that um, and that he loves us in that. And because of his love for us, that we can love others who are different from us. I think that's where it starts. Well, I'm sure given that we're talking about practical theology right now, um, a lot of people might be listening and wondering, you know, what what can I do? What should I do? And, you know, maybe maybe let's chat a little bit about ways that we can more better stand in solidarity with those who are experiencing tremendous racial injustice at the moment. I would say that if if you're in a place where you're feeling that you have not just theological gaps, but just practical, like humanitarian gaps. Now's the time to do the work, to Mm. educate yourself. And I would speak primarily to my North American brothers and sisters, Mm. and say we have an abundance of resources and uh, an abundance of free resources to start learning the narrative of people who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. I think the reminder has to be that Jesus spoke within the time frame in which he lived. Paul spoke in the time frame in which he lived. Ministers of the gospel have to speak into the time frame in which they live uh, with the unchanging gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. But you have to understand the people in which you are to minister to and, and their experiences that they have as well, because that shapes who they are um, and how they will respond to the gospel. And so I think this is a time to educate yourself. Um, But do educate yourself with the fortitude to take that first step yourself. And I speak this particularly to my white brothers and sisters. You will have to take the legwork on your own in the beginning um, because it gives you skin in the game. And your your brothers and sisters of color are willing to join into that. But we we I think we likely want you to to take that initial investment to seek out the resources. available before the persons who um, likely are already hurting in these moments 
and it's hard for us to do that um, while also trying to, it's hard for us to process um, our pain while also trying to educate. Yeah, and um, as an Asian American, a helpful series for me that I've been watching, it's called Interconnected, which is by the Asian American Christian Collaborative. It's called Interconnected Confronting Racial Prejudice Between Asian American and African American Communities. It's a three-part series, but it really helps me give me better understanding for the African American community, but also to understand our own history of uh, discrimination as Asian Americans. Just having to confront that, I think, helps me also stand in solidarity with those who are suffering and those who are oppressed. And I think there are also a lot of organizations that are doing uh, work in racial reconciliation. And so supporting those organizations, like Be the Bridge and contributing to those places, um, I think those are uh, really good places to start as well. Okay, well, thank you guys for those resources. Um, Any final words? I think the simple reminder that with all the, the duty that we have to live as people of faith uh, and people of deep theological convictions, I'm reminded of John 17, we are to be one as he is one. Um, And we must do all that we can with all that we've been afforded with to to accomplish that will of Jesus and the will of of the Godhead for us to be one. Let's continue to do that work as, as we're running the race um, that is not given to the, nor, to the swift nor to the strong, but to the ones that endure to the end. Many of our brothers and sisters of color, the end seems far longer than the race uh, allowed for us to get to. And so we, the more and more that we start seeing that race as one, the better we are at actually getting to the finish line together. Um, and I think God honors that. So take the tools, the resources that you have, Um, But use that to sum up what John 17's fulfillment is, is that we be one as he is one with the Father. Yeah, I love that image of John 17. And, you know, even just thinking there about that idea of unity and oneness, right? Within the Trinity, the persons aren't collapsed or conflated or erased, right? There's personal distinction. And I think similarly, the unity that we strive for is not some, you know, homogeneous erasure of you know, persons and, and difference and these sorts of things, you know, but it includes them. And I think that's a great, great way for us to end thinking about what true unity looks like. And and of course, as we strive towards that high priestly prayer that, that Jesus prays there in John 17, that, that we would truly be unity, you know, thinking of going back to that issue of orthodoxy and orthopraxy, we, we often talk about, you know, the importance of orthodoxy, right doctrine, right, right theology, right? We, we always, you know, talk about that. And churches split over it again and again, and we fail to recognize so often that unity is a doctrine, right? What you were just sharing with us, Daniel, uh, unity is a doctrine, and I think we need to strive for that in all areas, racially and otherwise, and I, I, I really appreciate the admonition. I'm really grateful to have both of you on today, both both Grace and, and Daniel, and joining us to talk about this issue of, of racial justice and racial injustice and thinking about how we as a church can strive towards um, pursuing um, what, what Jesus is calling us towards there in, in John 17. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you, John. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. It was fun.
you'd like more engagement of Theology, Culture, and Discipleship from the Two Cities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. If you like the content that we put out here on the Two Cities podcast, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.